You're listening to a Rare Drop podcast. Check us out at raredrop.co. Hello, everyone. I know you've been waiting for a very long time to be involved with all of the amazing things that we're doing at Rare Drop, and now is the time. We are introducing the Rare Drop Patreon, so if you've ever wanted to get involved with experimental content or being at any of our podcasts early to listen in, well, all of that is available in the new Rare Drop Patreon. Check it out. Hello, chat. I believe you can hear me. Let me hit the uh, let me hit all of the other necessary buttons, and we'll get started. Uh, oh, transition. There we go. Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome to Broman Podcast, episode one hundred and twenty-three. I hope you're having an excellent evening or morning or whenever you're listening to this. If you're not catching it live. Joining me today, uh, we have Aaron McVary, the SVP of Brand and Content at Vinick Sports Group. Thank you so much for joining uh, joining me today. Uh, so I imagine for anybody listening, they're like, huh, that's like, uh, I haven't heard that brand name before, uh, maybe unless you're from Tampa. So uh, before we get started with the rest of it, just kind of let everybody know what it, what it is you do and, and a little bit about like where it is you work. Yeah, so um, Vinick Sports Group is the ownership group of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I should say 2020 Stanley Cup champions. Uh, had to add that in there, uh, of course. Um, with Vinick Sports Group, uh, you know, the, the Lightning is the core of, of who and what we are uh, as an organization. Um, we have quite a bit of ancillary businesses uh, that make up who and what Vinick Sports Group is. Uh, we have a partnership with the University of South Florida Athletics. Um, from a media rights perspective, we have a digital lifestyle network um, that's all things local to Tampa Bay called The Identity. And, um, you know, we also do some work with um, strategic um, property, SPP, strategic property partners. Um, ah. That basically is helping to build and revitalize all of downtown uh, Tampa. So pretty exciting organization and, and kind of undergoing quite a bit um, with the kind of transformation of downtown Tampa. Yeah, Tampa Tampa's on the up and up. Like a lot of people, if they're not from around here, they're like, really? And it's like, yeah, there's all this construction going on. Um, so to take to take a step back, um, what I what I would love to, to learn about is a little bit about how you you kind of got interested in um, interested in producing content interested in branding and and how you brought all of that through your journey through the gaming space um, and all of the other places that that you kind of uh, interacted with along your journey uh, and how that that brought you to where you are right now yeah I mean that's a loaded question it's a huge question. Time. It's a huge Highlights like, are always welcome if that's the way you'd like to proceed. That's definitely fine. I'm like, I think when I first got involved, that nobody knew what content was when I, you know, knew what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, back in, gosh, before I went to college, I just loved sports. Um, you know, as a collegiate athlete, it was just something I always was so innate. It was a connection that I had with my father. You hear a lot of people talk about the world of sport. Um, but it was really interesting. I just knew that I wanted to major in something with sports, but I didn't know what that was. Um, and so when I was looking at different institutions or universities, I would only look at schools that had like a sports management program. Um, this is before, you know, sports management became what it is right now. Um, and when I got into college, I, I went to Michigan. You, you'll see me, you know, drink from my mug here, a little plug for Go Blue. Um, we're doing well. We're in the Sweet 16. Uh, but what, what ended up happening is I fell in love with like consumer marketing classes and advertising and marketing and just the understanding kind of people's passion points and understanding how business gets done. Uh, I've always had an affinity for television commercials. Uh, I think there's just, there are many stories. Uh, I know they interrupt your, you know, viewing pleasure as you're watching sporting events, but uh, I was just really drawn into that and didn't know what that meant. Didn't know I, that I could go make television commercials uh, I didn't really want to go work for a team or a league. That's not like where I set out to be. So me be working for a team now is, is interesting, um, but it wasn't where I set out. Uh, so when I got to Michigan, that was really when I started to see, you know, what I liked and you started taking classes in the business school and it's amazing how it kind of comes to you. Like I'll say I was lucky that I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know what facet of being in sports was. Um, 
And so from, you know, obviously graduating from college, I went and got my master's degree in advertising because I wasn't quite ready for the real world and was like, but I want to learn more about advertising. You know, we didn't learn that at Michigan. And, you know, my first job, um, you know, I couldn't, I really struggled to find a job coming out of, coming out of college. Um, there's a lot going on in the world um, and from September 11th and everything like that, where the jobs weren't where they once where they once were, right? So I understand yeah. what it was when you went through the 08 financial crisis or you're going through what you're going through right now from a pandemic perspective when they're just jobs weren't there. Um, and so I bartended in Chicago for a little while, which you're supposed to do in your early 20s. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's just, I think all of those stories, because like you, all of that kind of led me here without even knowing that I got here, right? Like, um, you know, bartending in Chicago, you meet a lot of people, you start to kind of understand networking in such a way that you just never really kind of understand when you're in college and people are trying to teach you what networking is. Um, and, you know, from there, my first like job, really like real job was, you know, working on the army business uh, for Relay a Sports and Event, an agency that no longer exists. And we managed all of the army sponsorships. And so this is a lot of like experiential, digital and social was really just kind of coming to be, um, you know, text messaging was just, just kind of happening as far as like SMS programs and stuff. And so I worked on the army business for about eight years. And the thing that fascinated me the most was the, were the stories, right? Like we had to tell the story of the army soldier to get people to enlist in the army in the time of war you're talking about you know 2003 2004 mm -hmm. and our job was to tell the stories through the lens of sport like how much more exciting can that be and i think i think that was content before we talked about it being content yeah. you know like what content is now it sounds i mean it sounds like that conversation right like how do you re how do you recontextualize the message that you're trying to talk about uh you know for a new audience and you think about it in smaller chunks like thinking about things as television at like you brought up TV advertising, which I love a good, like a good TV ad. Like there's nothing better, like nice 30 seconds where you're laughing. And then at the end, you're like, oh, I might want that thing. Actually, good job, mm -hmm. company. I'll buy that. Uh, like I love I love the like the affinity for for TV commercials sort of leads into like that idea of looking at short form content before it was short form content. Like, I think that's I think it's super interesting. Yeah, storytelling. Storytelling. Like now you're looking at the fact that we can tell stories in six seconds, right? You know, Vine was predicated on the very, very short form. And so you don't necessarily need 60 seconds or 30 seconds any longer. You can do it in six. And so it's just fascinating how, how we tell stories. Yeah. So so you were you were you worked with Army for like eight years, which is which is incredible. And then. Where did things go from from there? Like how how did um, how did the interface with all of this other new media as as things evolved? How did you get involved? You know, with that, like with the army business, because I, I ran the U.S. Army All American Bowl, which was like the nation's premier high school football all star game, and what was really what really interesting is that through that, what you started to see the evolution of technology and the importance of digital. And I was fascinated by that from a brand perspective. And when you've been with a brand for eight years, that's a, that's a long time. Uh, I got, I wanted to be more on the creative side. So I worked out of our New York office and moved from Chicago to New York. And when I was there, I touched every single part of an ad agency from the creative side of the house, to the media buying side of the house, research strategy. And it was just fascinating to me in the sense of how campaigns came together, um, all starting like with the power of a brief. And I ended up next at Ogilvy. And Ogilvy is such an I've met some of the smartest people in the world of advertising there. Um, I learned so much in my time there um, from my boss, who was just, you know, the most, um, just a brilliant mind. Um, and, and so learning from him and then kind of, it was interesting because I was, it was almost like a Sherpa, right? Like I got to work on every single brand. It felt like in the building that touched the world of sport, because I understood not only how sponsorships work, but how media and advertising worked. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of these big brands, the UPS is the Cokes of the world are buying media time within the sports that they're partners of. 
And so you've got to fill that ad time that you're getting with a 30 second mm. spot. So how do you make sure that that sponsorship comes to life? And so the most fascinating thing working there was the um, NASCAR had put out a request for proposal for uh, a creative agency. And it was really their first time going out and looking for a larger scale agency. They, they were one of the few leagues that didn't have uh, a true like agency of record AOR, if you will. And, you know, throughout that process, like I basically was, you know, because the Army was a sponsor of NASCAR, I had so much different, you know, intimate knowledge that I was able to kind of bridge that gap between, you know, what we were thinking about strategically, what we were thinking about creatively, and we won the business. Um, so we launched at the time their, their largest kind of brand campaign, and it was all about repositioning the brand. I think the brand is still repositioning itself as, as consumers get younger and younger. We, we all of us want to capture that market. Um, but it was, you know, really interesting to see kind of them transform to look at themselves as a, a, a real powerhouse from a brand perspective. I I remember I remember reading in like business journals and stuff about NASCAR specifically sort of transforming and adopting its image, right? Seeing people saying like, oh, like NASCAR is like recreating itself and it's, you know, it's finally coming into its own as a sport and and all of this other all this is really interesting stuff around kind of around them, like taking themselves more seriously and understanding almost what you said verbatim was like the headline was like they're you know, they, they understand that they're a powerhouse now. So that's that's kind of incredible that you were a part of that. That's what yeah. what was it like helping like such a powerful like legacy brand with so much like identity and emotion and there's like so much connected to it what was it like working with that conceptually and trying to take it into a new like a new format or a new space yeah i think what's really interesting it was what was about breaking things down and understanding nascar at its core right like it's not just about you know going around in circles and making a bunch of lefts right <laughs> right and, and it's not it's not old it's not you know um you know they used to say it was old um old, boring, and redneck. Well, you know, when you actually got into it and you got into the stories of the technology and what the drivers endure and you are able to actually bring that out, you know, this is when sports science was becoming a really big thing, right? Not yes. understanding the amount of G-force that the, the, these guys are under. So it's about getting into those intricate details that make people want to discover the sport. And quite frankly, if you ever go to an NASCAR race, it's, it's one of those, and with much fandom, right? It's like going to that experience really is what makes you a fan. I, uh, for a period of my life, I lived in Johnson City, Tennessee, and that's close to Bristol Motor Speedway. And uh, I had, I'd never been to a NASCAR event in my entire life. I, I um, but one day for, God, it must have been around Christmas, like we went and they do the speedway up on the inside, right, to, to make it like this drive-through thing. So we go in there, and I've, I've like seen NASCAR, been aware of it my whole life, um, and we get, you, you actually drive on the track. And the second you get on the track, I was like, oh, that's why this is a sport. Like you feel everything about how the car is actually like this, like, you know, like it, it looks, they use the camera angles to make everything feel very like comfortable. You're like, oh, that looks like an easy ride. No, like the second we pulled in and our like, what was a RAV4 or whatever, I felt like we were gonna flip over. Like it is, and then doing that at 180 or whatever miles per hour people, like it's terrifying. And so it really, that made me really appreciate you know, all of the physics and everything that goes that goes into it. Cause it's very in my mind, I think about it like it's very much like a sport you can appreciate if you're like a mechanist, if you're a big fan of how machinery and engineering works. Uh all of those cool little bits and bobbles are in there. And then like the more, you know, the more subtle and interesting things that you need your brain and body to do under those circumstances to perform maximally. So it's there's a lot of really interesting science and and I it's funny to me that I'm I'm actually saying this and I was like, that's what you recognized when you were working with with all of the concepts is that you were right. Like you saw, oh, these things are super important to understanding the sport. And if someone can understand it, then they can learn to love it. And it's not but it's also what it does is for those people who are avids, mm. right, it reinforces their avid, avidity. Right. Like you're not alienating them. They're all about it. That's what they're they're there for. But the, for the new, you're opening it up to them in, in, in kind of a this unique experience. And I think you're seeing it a lot with many of the sports leagues right now. 
in the sense that we're all trying to go after what the Gen Z, Z, whatever they're called right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I call them millennials, but I know that. that's wrong. Generation what? It's, it's Gen Z or Gen oh, Z. I'll say Z for all of the European listeners, so that way they feel <laughs> they feel represented. Um, I I like that. I really I really like that that concept. Uh, or the other side of the coin on that is you are intriguing new people, but you're also by by speaking intelligently about the subject matter, right? You're honoring it, and you're saying like you know we you know we're still here. We we understand in an advertising sense what we are still. So that's yeah, I like so you're you're honoring the the past of the sport and generating new interest, which is like like genius <laughs> to put it like super frankly, like that's genius. Yeah, so uh, what we got to do as marketers. Yeah, you got to figure out the right way to do the the storytelling. So so awesome work with NASCAR. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you began to sort of interface directly with the more like standardized gaming space. So interestingly enough, um, I am not a gamer, even though I worked in the space. I have, I have mad respect uh, for the space. Uh, when I worked on the Verizon business, uh, we were working on a large Super Bowl campaign. And you know, Verizon, huge sponsor of the NFL, NHL partnership. We did a lot of stuff in fashion and music. Um, I had a, some digital producers come to me and they're like, hey, we think we should get into this space. And it was a whole package on Twitch. And I was like looking at these numbers and I was like, what? Like, it, it was like, like this is, these are massive. Like you're just trying to understand who and what this was because the numbers were so large. Yeah. And we put together a package to um, put in front of Verizon. And again, this is probably 2015 ish. And, you know, you're talking about five, six years ago and brands Verizon's in it now. Right. But, you know, when we brought it to him in, in 2015, it wasn't something that they were ready to, to jump in on. Right. I think there was still a little bit of the wild, wild west. It was still very fractured. Um, you know, yeah. Twitch was saying it had all these numbers, but nobody like what did all these numbers mean? Do you know how people? <laughs> this is this is so fascinating for me to hear uh, because on the other side of the space. Right. That's kind of I was like, so I. I I, I hit the point where I started like trying to sort of shop around my stream a little bit and I ran into that problem where everyone's like that these numbers are neat, but like, how are you verifying a view? Like, what does that actually mean for me in a practical sense? Like you can say you have a million page views, but you could be calculating that as a click or you could be calculating that as like a three minute stay on the channel. Like how, like, what does this mean? Um, so I just I just really love like the the personal catharsis of knowing that that confusion was was very real is is awesome for me. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, hi, puppy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very relieving. So so you you work with Verizon for the Super Bowl um, and did they was this the first time they brought they, was this when they brought streamers out to the Super Bowl or is this like when they allowed the co-streaming? So you had asked about how I first started getting into, into yeah, yeah. gaming. And so that was like my first taste of kind of understanding that this is a thing, much like, you know, very niche, like action sports and, and you, you know, wasn't something that was like very mainstream, but, but really big numbers because it wasn't organized, right? Where people could make sense of it. Yes. And so from when I, every, when I left Verizon, Gary Bowen, the agency for Verizon, you know, Verizon didn't actually want to do anything in the space just that it wasn't the right time for them. But as I went to other agencies after that, I would continually bring in people from the gaming space so that way we could understand, you know, what what the space was. Um, when I left McGarry and went to um, TBWA Shiat Day, I, we had, you know, we had Nissan, we had McDonald's, we had Adidas as clients. And so, you know, all of these, you know, pop culture, lifestyle brands, how do we get them hooked up in the gaming space? So I would bring people in for lunch and learns when we were all together in an office yeah. <laughs> um, to kind of learn more about the space and see if there was any traction. When I, I ended up uh, leaving the agency and leaving New York, because I was I just I needed a break and went to L.A. And when I went to L.A., uh, I think because of my background in, in advertising and marketing and kind of understanding the world of sport, um, 
a couple of different people approached me from the gaming space to kind of come on board. I worked with a, a startup out there called Player Two when I first got there. And, and basically, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Did I go? Did I want to go back into advertising? It was different in LA versus New York. Um, and what I did was end up helping to build their consultation division, right? So we would have we would go and pitch clients like a Super League Gaming or a Mattel, um, and we would say like Hot Wheels, sorry you know, hey, we want to be your agency. We want to create programs for you. Here's, you know, what, what we're going to, what we're going to charge you for our brain power and here's for the execution. And so you started to really, that really got me into the gaming space because I was starting to understand it more from like how brands wanted to get involved in it, how they could actually um, achieve their, their goals the same way we did in the world of sport. Right. So what people do and what brands do to activate in the world of sport is the same in gaming and esports, it just wasn't traditional, right? Like the numbers are there, you still got the passion points, but you don't have like, you don't have the physical spaces you do now, right? If you go to an yeah. esports, um, you know, championship of League of Legends or something, there's a ton of people there, right? So that kind of led me into the, the gaming space. Um, and then I went over to Vision, a, a private equity company in the space. And I stayed in it because of the fact that it was really cool knowing that you were bringing something to the table that was helping to elevate. You had a, an industry where gamers were traditionally hiring other gamers. And I think that's why they were hitting the ceiling and people were talking about it being fractured because they didn't know from a business acumen perspective how to actually build it. And if you look at uh, even Overwatch right now, you know, Brandon Snow is from the NBA, right? And yeah. so you're looking at like a ton of people who've come in from the world of traditional sports into this space to help um, take it to that next level and elevate it and evolve it. Mm. And, and I think I was a part of that during that time period, which was, you know, a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And quite frankly, I needed the gamers just like they needed me, right? I had, you know, mad respect for them in the sense that I, I can't do that. I can't do what they do. I can't see what they see in the games. And so it was interesting to kind of get to know them. And I think they appreciated that I was just me, you know, like I was one walking around the office with high heels. I didn't have my hat on backwards and wearing an Adidas hoodie, you know, but it yeah. was like fun because I was who I was, you know? Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's, in, that is, that is incredible. Like that's what a, what a powerhouse <laughs> you've done. You've done so much incredible stuff. Um, and, and I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, your analysis of the gaming space, like historically uh, of, of like the error points, right? People were hiring other gamers, right? Like it was all this, this very cyclical, like, oh, so-and-so learned how to do this at this company. It was just sort of self-contained. And so if you, and we, we still sort of encounter this as a, as the space is growing up, but like you go to, you go to contact some people at a company and they have a really standard operating procedure where they have like really clean defined lines to go, you know, all the way up to their CEO. And then you contact some other people and then you have like, have no idea who's in charge and like who's supposed to be making decisions and like where role assignments are and things like that. Um, and then, and then of course, like the, we had like the nice streak between like 2016 and like 2018 where like everybody started an esports team and put CEO in their, uh, in their Twitter handle uh, and, and so then there was just so many, too many CEOs to keep track of and boy, what a mess. So, so you, you actually mentioned, you mentioned something that, that I hear a lot and I love, again, just your perspective on this. You, you mentioned that the way that traditional sports and esports work is similar, but the execution is different. I'm, I'm curious about what are the similarities that you see having, having worked in both worlds? Um, from a similarity perspective, they both offer, as, as I mentioned before, right? It's a passion point, right? There are people who are, you know, devote fans to 100 Thieves. There are people who are devote fans of the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? And and some people, you know, it's more like basketball, right? In the sense that, you know, you follow 100 Thieves because of the fact that, you know, some, you know, maybe it's um, Nate Dog that you're, you know, infatuated with, right? Or mm -hmm. you follow it because of a player, right? And, when, and so... With basketball, you know, LeBron can change teams, but you're still a fan of LeBron, right? And so that's yeah. a really 
interesting di- you know, dichotomy in the world of, of esports itself is that people follow the player, not necessarily the team. So how do you get people to fall in love with the team? Mm. And that's a lot of what kind of NBA NBA teams oftentimes face is making sure that you know the fan base is about not just the athlete, but about the the team itself. Um, you know, you're, you're you all got sponsors. It, it, the world, yeah. you, you got to make that money, got to have that revenue coming in. Right. So it's like, how are we actually working with our sponsors to create stuff that makes sense for both brands? Right. That people are going to look at it. It's not going to be completely like, ooh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Um, so from a, a revenue perspective, like, you know, sponsorships is really key. The, the storytelling from a brand perspective, everybody wants to know who these players are. So, you know, whether whether you're a League of Legends player, and I feel like I don't know the players anymore because they like changed so much. I was going to name some old ones from like two years ago. <laughs> probably not even around anymore. Yeah, it's full new rosters um, now, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, just much like, you know, with, um, you know, the lightning here is people want to know who these people are. What is the behind the scenes content that you're giving fans um, that give them a look as to what's happening, right? So like that, that doesn't change. So whether it's a, traditional sports and action sport or, you know, gaming itself, it's, it's very much the same. Hmm. I mean, it's even the same now when you think about like cooking and chefs, right? Like everybody Absolutely. wants to know like, what Guy Ferrari is doing, you know, or, you know, <clears throat> so, or Curtis Stone. Good old, um, good old guy. <laughs> but I mean, it's one of those things where that there are so many similarities in, in that regard. And I think you're seeing esports teams being set up that way. You're seeing a lot of tournament organizers starting to look at the ways in which, you know, traditional sports have organized tournaments, whether it's the NCAA or, you know, other kind of conference tournaments that set up. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Uh, I, I love the I love I love the focus on the player, right? Like, who is this? I think that was one of the that was one of like the biggest missteps when esports sort of started emerging, uh, at least from the con like my experience as a content creator, like everybody sort of started blowing it off, um, even like internally, like they're like it was the esports part of gaming and then like the gaming part of gaming. And like there was this line um, and then you had people who were like individual breakout stars who would have like these incredible performances and matches and stuff. And then they're their content gets redis like anytime you see this organization it's always this guy you know absolutely beating the shit out of everybody else you know like it's it's you're always so you started to see these personalities arise and then the personalities are what got you to attach to these teams like it's what got you interested so so seeing like again like seeing that the the parallel with the NBA is like perfect because it really is all about it really is all about the individual and how they perform on the team, but the individual can out out index the team massively. Right. And so you have to sort of control for that. And like you said, figure out ways to make like in this, in this case, content that benefits like the whole, that's like, a, it's a, it's a super fascinating problem to, to, it was fascinating to watch it get solved. And it's, it's just really cool to hear like the motivation and and that there were people on uh, in my mind you know like on the other side of this fence outside of gaming who really did get it who understood like this is about the people that are here and we need to focus on that first instead of just being like look at this cool team because there isn't that like intergen intergenerational buy-in that you have with like a city sports team because all this stuff is so new so the brand doesn't mean anything until you've built it up and i think that there was a you know, with the plague of CEOs, uh, there was definitely a moment when everybody thought all I have to do is start this esports team and then I'm set. So uh, but it it has been the people who've proved out over time that they know how to hold a nice roster of people to make cool content that have like won over time. So, well, yeah, you think about like 100 Thieves has basically branded themselves as a lifestyle brand. Yes. You know, thinking about how the way that they do merch drops and like that's all part of their 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 strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Phase Plan has said we're not necessarily a pro, you know we're going to do more of the influencer approach and yes. content creator approach, and now you know they're signing deals with UTA um, from an agency representation perspective. So that's where they're going with their brands, right? So every it's really interesting how you know some are very much you know a TSM is going to be very focused on the competition, mm. right? You've got competitions and competition players, and you've got streamers, yes. creators, 
right? And they both make up the team and like your competition players aren't necessarily going to be your best content people. Like all that... they want to do is I hope that people tell you that you are just so smart all the time because holy I'm cow. Gonna you, I'm going to need you in my little like shoulder like all the time. Oh yeah, I'll, I'm awesome, Aaron. <laughs> I'm good at hyping people. Well, no, the, the the pointing out the hybridization of the organizational structure is what I found like super fascinating there, right? Like so these they've taken it one step further where it's like, "Oh, well not every but like if to to borrow the sports analogy, we don't just have to storytell about the people who are on the field or on the court." Like we can talk about the fans, right? You can talk about the people who love the game, play the game all the time, um, and and have great conversations, but they aren't necessarily on the court. And so when you look at how it's been implemented with 100 Thieves or, or any of these other organizations that are evolving forward, they're bringing on essentially like the super fan because the super fan now has this entire network of, of places where they're sharing their passion and it falls like directly in line with that kind of like attention quotient. So I, man, that's smart. Holy cow. You know, what's really interesting. There's two parts of like what you were just talking about. It's like one, you know, one of the things that I really want us to start doing uh, as a, as an organization and a team is I want us to create partnerships with content creators. Mm. Um, yeah, I want to go out and, and develop like how, how can we work together because you've got this audience that I can't necessarily tap into because they're not paying attention to me. Mm. But if you have, you know, the, the rights and we work together and your voice talk about hockey or talk about the lightning in some cool way, like how do I leverage that? Mm. Right. In order to build my community and my job is to build our audiences. Right. So they the content creators are one aspect um, I think are really important when you think about influencer culture right now. Um, the other part you mentioned with the fan, you know, one of the things um, you come working in the world of sport, one, one big program we did uh, this past year for the playoffs is um, we, we took our tag be the thunder and made it be the distant thunder. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we did that is because, you know, our team was in a bubble yeah. <laughs> and up in Canada, nobody was there. We couldn't be with them. And so it was this notion about the fact that we're apart, but we're never absent. Mm. And what we did during that was we took a natural, you know, um, protective barrier, which is the glass, right? That you see in a hockey rink at all the times, guys slamming into it. You think it's the coolest part of the game. Uh, we took that glass, which you were really seeing all around the, the country as protective barriers uh, because of this pandemic that we were all in. And we took that glass and we asked fans to come down to Amley and sign the glass. And with that glass, we shipped that glass to Toronto and actually had it in the field to play or the rink, I should say, um, for the first round playoffs in Toronto. And what was really special about that is you talk about the fan, it's making the fan feel like they are a part of us because we can't do it without them. Yeah. Right. Like they're like thunder and lightning go together in the way that we talk and that's super marketing, but it just truly is in the way that we, look at who our fans are you know we, we didn't raise our banner went on opening night because we wanted to wait till the fans were in the building to actually raise it and even though there weren't you know twenty thousand people in the building it was this, it was a, a pivotal moment because it was a sense of return to normalcy um so it's just been when you talk about the fan and the way that we build content whether you're in the gaming community or in the sports world you have to think with that lens um to get them involved and, and quite frankly our whole team is super proud of, of that, that glass that, you know, having it up in Toronto was actually really cool. Yeah. I mean, there, there, everybody wrote news. The people wrote news stories about it while I was streaming. People came in, they're like, do you see the cool thing that the lightning did? And, uh, and I'm like, I had no idea you were a hockey fan person in chat. That's never talked about <laughs> hockey before. Uh, but yeah, that's really cool. It, it's in, in, in that particular instance, what, what I find so cool is, is that, you know, that's that was part of the journey to taking home the Stanley Cup. So like the the fact that there is this this icon, right, that's going to exist is, you know, that's amazing. Like this is all of the fans the year that we were separated. And that's a, like a piece of glass that that can be kept that has significance that that feels it, it just feels very emotionally valuable. Um, and it's like the kind of thing that you, you know, in when I'm 80 and I have grandkids, like I'd want to like walk them by and be like, let me tell you about 2020 and like, look at that. 
And they're like, I don't get it, Grandpa. And then I tell the whole story, and they're like, whatever, I'm playing space games on my eyeball computer. Uh, because, And I, I like the, uh, for me, the, the creation of real-world um, items uh, that cross that distance divide is kind of like at the core of, of what we've done with GCX, right? Like I've always believed that digital community seeks physical presence um, because we are, we are so connected with our online communities that when we, when we present a good enough opportunity for people to gather together, they're always going to say yes, because it's, it's this chance to interact with a part of your life that you wouldn't usually get to see. Uh, and this year, especially we're trying to, you know, since we moved everything digitally, we're trying to give people like real world things that they can, you know, touch and hold and feel so that we, we feel connected that there's, you know, something that's occupying physical space in your home that reminds you like you're a part of this. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super fascinated about the future and how all of that, that digital physical crossover works now that we're, now that we're in the, like, you know, I've been a big fan of blockchain technology for a long time. So now we're looking at NTFs or NFTs um, and, and all of these other formats for like content distribution or value generation, um, particularly, you know, uh, on the charity side of things when it comes to working with artists who may be visual digital artists that maybe haven't been able to generate revenue for their favorite charities before. But now there's this opportunity, um, you know, where they can create something that's going to like bridge that gap and, and involve, you know, new forms of expression and like the overall picture of how things work. I, so there's, yeah, there's just so much. And I guess now I would like to ask you, and I understand I'm not asking you to give away any edge or anything that you have or any plans that you have for the future. Um, but, you know, looking, looking forward in the gaming space, where are some, where are some areas that you think there's, there's opportunity to that, that people aren't looking or maybe uh, some places where you're where uh, companies are thinking like, oh, that's all tapped out, but maybe there might be you know new opportunities for me when I'm looking at everything that's happening in gaming and like what's garnering attention. Uh, it seems relatively obvious that like the BR craze is dying down and we are all sort of waiting for something that's that's going to emerge to sort of be whatever this next Titanic uh you know, moment in gaming history is going to be, uh, that's always my favorite part because you don't know what game's going to come out of nowhere and which, right. what kind of skill sets it's going to incentivize, right? Like, um, arguably if we were to look back over the past, let's say like notable moments in gaming history, right? Like you had Quake and all the competitive stuff that was happening with Quake and then you have MOBAs come out. Um, but well, I guess before that it was Minecraft and I can't think of something more different than playing a MOBA than Minecraft, right? They're so divergent. Like this is a calm, peaceful world where you're going to like befriend horses and then like try to eat some food to survive versus like highly tactical 100,000 actions per minute, <laughs> like lane management sim. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's one of the things that's fascinating about gaming is how things can evolve forward. So as things change, what what are the things that you look out for? Maybe this is a better way to phrase the question. What are some things that you look out for and you go, oh, I like I noticed that I'm going to make sure I, I pay attention to, you know, whatever games happening over here or this group of content creators over there? Yeah, you know, it, it's what's so fascinating about your question is that one of the things that I loved when I was in the, the gaming space is that I never knew what was ha going to happen next. Right. Like my day, I don't know what's going to happen on any given day anyway, but being in the gaming space, because you didn't know what new game was going to happen. You didn't know which what player was going to either, you know, take off or, you know, just kind of fade away or what new technology was going to, you know, come into yeah. be. Right. You had Google coming up with Stadia and Facebook gaming was like getting hot and heavy. And all of a sudden Mixer was there and caffeine was there. And so you had no idea like what was going to take off. And that was the thing that was, you know, scary because you're like where am i investing my time and my resources and but where where are you how do you have to pivot and learn what these technologies are and so it's interesting now being in a more traditional space because we can't pivot like that like that's just you know it's it's not we have a brand we have to truly think about and like how are we doing that do we have the resources 
And so now I've started with our group, you know, kind of a what's trending. And we've got a document where people are putting in things that they're seeing across industry trades, whether it be in the world of sport, pop culture, um, digital, you know, uh, social to gaming. So we're really understanding what's happening, right? Like, mm. so, hey, guys, we're seeing Clubhouse. Lots of talk is happening about Clubhouse. What are we doing? Should we be paying attention to this? Should we not be paying attention to this? Hey, you know, we had some, you know, conversations with Triller. Is Triller a, 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 a platform that we should go with? Does it make sense for our brand? Mm. You know, and so it's one of those things where we are, I personally constantly am looking at the trades and trying to find out what's happening, what's new, where are things moving? Um, you know, you think about the blockchain, the cryptocurrency, and you know, now you got people buying suites at, you know, at, at Oakland for the Oakland A's via cryptocurrency. Yeah. Can everybody else do that? I don't know. I think it's might be, you know, the Bay Area might be the, the first for a minute to mm. figure that out. Um, but it, there's just a lot of unknowns and you've got, you know, I think in the, the gaming space, people are so used to pivoting and so used to just um, you know, going a little bit more quickly mm. and that's okay. Cause that's, it's young and it's fast and it's digital and it's, it's, it's a very different type of model. And so what I found interesting about gaming is that the digital world that it lives in, I think the sports can learn a lot from, and the more traditional linear, um, elements is something that gaming can really learn from as well. So it's taking the best from both worlds in order to kind of truly grow that like, at the end of the day, I don't know what's next. Like I, I really don't. And I'm constantly like charging my team, like, okay, okay, great. What kind of cool second screen experience can we do? And, you know, whether it's a, a live like or a maestro platform that's coming from the gaming space mm. into like our space, what does that look like? I don't know if I can do that. I have a regional sports network deal that doesn't allow me to actually stream my content. Oh man, we... <laughs> Yeah, we have a lot of experience with uh, with learning like the in and outs of, of all of like the legal constraints of, of trying to work with sports teams. We, we've learned we've learned at Rare Drop. We learned a lot working with the Bolts and with the identity and and what does and doesn't work there. But we've learned with, you know, with Kings Coast and any time that we any time that we try to to work with like anybody or any industry that isn't gaming, it's always a surprise. It's always like, uh, oh, like whether it's an advertising network or anything, we're just so used to people either replying super quickly, which you pointed out, like everyone's, I don't know, on 24 uh, seven. But we, we have that, but as you, you move into like the more traditional spaces, you, I have started to understand, cause I've always asked the questions like, why don't they just do this? And then I was like, ah, like the gigantic boxes of lawyer paperwork in the back of the office would, would indicate why, you know, you need to read all those again before you introduce something new um, sometimes, because you really don't know if, if, I want to broadcast and distribute this in a new location. Is that violating somebody else's contract rights? Um, and depending on how that's negotiated, there's all this other stuff. So basically what I'm saying is if you're in the con, if you're, if you're a gamer and you're listening to this and you're like, I don't get it, please get it. There's a lot going on. <laughs> you know, like well, there's, it's interesting. You know, we, we have amazing partners um, across the board, whether it be um, our, our partnership on the linear side mm. or partnership on the radio side. Um, and, and, and we're respectful of them. Like we, yeah. we have a symbiotic relationship. And so, you know, but we all know, you know, they want to grow viewership. We want to grow our audience. So how do we put in place those growth strategies that help us both achieve that? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they're, the world is shifting and changing. You're seeing it with the deals, you know, like if you look at what's, what Viacom did with the NFL and then kind of like putting, you know, putting on Nickelodeon and doing all the different overlays, which is no different than what the NFL did with, you know, Ninja and Twitch, you know, ages ago when yeah. he was ages ago, like I was like two years ago. I know, right? <laughs> so long ago. So long ago. Um, but, you know, Ninja, you know, doing commentating over an NFL game, like that wasn't helping his brand. Mm. But it certainly was helping the NFLs to reach a totally new audience. Um, and so you're going to start like those cross pollination that you're seeing on Twitch. You know, Twitch is starting to have a different type of life where people are going to it that are outside of the world of gaming, which is good for Absolutely. Twitch. Um, you know, gamers might not be happy about it, but. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's a it's an evolving platform, right? Like and I, I love I love that we're seeing new new and interesting things show up. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I think it's really funny that everyone's like, well, gamers might not like it. But like the reality is like 
the group of gamers that everyone thinks about when we say that word is actually like just so small at this point. Uh, what was there was like really recent. I can't remember who did the study, but like even now, you know, you think of a gamer, you think it's a guy, but statistically more women play video games now than men, uh, which which is like so well, when. Skewed, yeah, is it? Yeah, that's see, that's the data on that. I well, I didn't mobile? dig into it. Yeah, see, you, I always include mobile because I I look at uh, I'm sappy. I look at gaming as art. So anything that's a game that people are interacting with, it's like bringing them joy. I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Like can- Candy Crush, 100, totally a game. Like, you're a gamer. And if you are people, a gamer. yeah, it's true. And if people are like, well, you can't make content around Candy Crush. Let me tell you something. I get a group of grandmas that are absolutely insane at Candy Crush, and I put them together on a stream, and they just talk their usual old lady bullshit to each other. You are watching that. Like, everyone wants to... I, I want to see that right now. Like, there's there are ways to take even these things that people consider, like, boring or different and make them interesting. Uh, but I... Yeah, I did want to... I did want to make sure that we talked about this as well. You, you, have, you have done so many incredible things in your career, um, and you're a woman. So I and in a very male dominated industry, whether that's advertising or gaming, when it comes to, you know, uh, decision makers and stuff, it's uh, the composition of the room tends to lean uh, tends to lean toward men. So, you know, what was what was that experience like? And obviously any any advice or experiences that you may have had that you you'd want other women in the industry to to sort of hear and know about what what your journey was like. Yeah, you know, um, Thank you for bringing that up, especially considering the fact that it's women's it's Women's History Month, so yes. uh, appropriate. Um, you know, it's interesting. Yesterday we had a, a lunch and learn with um, a couple of uh, with a professor over at the University of South Florida who's just written an op-ed uh, for the Sports Business Journal, uh, and it was about imposter syndrome, and it talks about women in the world of sport, but it's not just the women in in sport. It, it's an imposter syndrome is basically you're feeling of inadequacies or not, you know, being, um, maybe I'm not good enough yeah. and, and you are good enough. And, and I, I think for, for every woman out there who is a high achiever, perfectionist, you, you have, you put such immense pressure on yourself to perform at a high level, to have all of the answers, to be so prepared when you walk into a meeting, because you don't want to feel like you don't belong. And, you know, there are moments in time where, yeah, having my career, I've been sitting at a table with a bunch of men and been interrupted, talked over, or somebody repeat my idea five minutes later and everybody's like, that's a great idea. And it's like, wait, I just said that. Or, you know, sitting in a room like I was in, 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 in LA last year and um, there's like seven, there was actually like, there were 17 people in the room. And my boss was like, oh, like, you know, did you, did you, you talked about, did you notice that like, you know, all the, the, the old guard side over here and like the new guard side over here. And I was like, no, did you notice I was the only woman in the room? You know, and, and it's just, it's funny that like um, people don't know or pay attention to that. Mm. And so it, it's, it's something where I've had bad days and good days. If I'm going to be completely, you know, candid, uh, I've had to, you know, learn how to communicate in ways where I'm not so direct um, it's still trying to get your, your point across. So sometimes you go from being overly direct to, you know, sugarcoating your message so much where like the message just gets lost because nobody knows what you're saying. So you got to find that, that balance. Mm. Um, luckily, you know, as I've ascended in my career, you, you get more confident, right? I've always been confident, but you, mm. you still have these doubts of like, do you belong? You know, th- there are times even now, um, you know, I ask questions like, am I too different? you know, coming from such an outside world into the world of sport. And I have to remind myself that, you know, so what? You're different. Who cares? Right. And, you know, do I belong? Yeah. Like I've worked my tail off. I know what I'm talking about. And so it's one of those things where having advocates is really important. It's supporters. Mm. Um, for me, I never really understood the importance of a female mentor until I actually got further along in my career. And I was able, because I'd had a bunch of male mentors and great ones, so not discrediting them at all. But one of them asked me point blank, he's like, have you ever had a, a mentor who looked like you? And I was like, no. He's like, maybe you should. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, and interestingly enough, I had fantastic conversations with Ann Han from Super League Gaming uh, about that. She came from outside the industry of gaming and we, you know, had general conversations, but to, to, to be around women who've been through and set some of the trailblazing to take their knowledge, to understand how to read a room, how to um, use your power and your voice it comes from those who've been there before. And so I, I just can't stress enough how important it is as, as women that we find other women to be our advocates, our supporters, and our mentors um, as, as we embark on any of these careers. Because whether you're in banking, like, we, like you said, whether, whether I was in advertising or I'm in sports or I'm in gaming, I've always been a woman. That's not going to change. Um, and all of these fields are men. Same, same with finance and media. So it's just about women kind of really um, looking out for those mentors, um, taking the time for themselves as well. Mm. Um, like I prepare when I go into meetings because I want to make sure that I'm that I know what I'm talking about, um, and they should too. Just I think sometimes we over prepare. No, I everything you said is so immensely valuable. And I really, I appreciate all of that insight. My, my follow-up to that is if, if someone is listening to this and they're like, Oh my God, like I totally should find a mentor. Are there, where, where should people be going to sort of make that happen? Yeah, no, that's, it's a really good question. Cause I think that that's not something that's an intrinsic of people to say, Hey, will you be my mentor? Yeah. Right. There are, you can look at your, your friend circle. You can look at, um, your, your uh, professors, you can look at people within your industry. They don't have to be within your own company, right? Like I have women that I mentor who um, are in outside companies and they've been set up from other people. It's about asking, mm. right? Like it, the people that you know in your network ask, hey, is there someone you think that's worth me talking to to learn about their careers? Start it by being informal, right? Like I just want to get to know you. I want to understand what your career trajectory was. I want to understand I have these situations. How can you help me? And I think in those moments in time, you start something that's informal and then you get to a point where like, hey, I'd really love it if we could spend some more time as a, as a mentor type of relationship. Um, that's, you know, one of my actual now close friends who um, is a VP with the, the Los Angeles Sparks. You know, we, we met at a, I was speaking on a panel and we started talking and she was asking me questions about the, my career and it really turned into um, a mentorship, you know, mentee mentor, but it also became a friendship. And I learned just as much from her as, as I'm sure she has from me. Um, but it all started because she also put herself out there too. That's, that was like totally, I was like, I was expecting you to be like, here's this website that you could go to where people no. are fun. Yeah, no, but it's, I mean. Work. You gotta do the work and it's not, that's the thing. I think sometimes, you know, we oftentimes think everything is so easy and accessible now. And, and there are areas where we, we actually have to put in the work mm -hmm. and networking and mentorship and, and finding a mentor. It's all, it's a process because not every person's going to be the right one for you. That's, woo, that is a, uh, that is very powerful advice. I think that is, that is something that, that is so hard for us to admit to ourselves as individuals. Like this might be a bad fit. Uh, because of whatever we're carrying around with us, whether, you know, that is that is like, why are they so awful and it must be them or like, why am I so bad? It must be me like what you know, and when in reality, we can just sort of sit there and say, wasn't a good fit. And there doesn't have to be more about it uh, because it'll it'll slow you down. Right. Like it'll it'll prevent you from from seeking out whatever is whatever is next. It's the same with all of your other type of relationships that you have in life. It's true. Yeah, it's not like. <laughs> It's not like you just walk up to somebody on the street and you're like, you're perfect for me. Let's get married. Like nobody's, nobody's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a relationship thing that takes, that takes time. I am, uh, I am just so, cause we're, we're coming to the end of our time here. I'm just so incredibly honored that you, you took time to like share so much wisdom with us today. Uh, so much earned knowledge from, from the incredible experience that you've had in your career and, and to, to be so open and honest about about everything that you you've accomplished and the challenges that you've run into. I think that this is, this is probably one of my fa more favorite episodes that we've ever done. So I'll just be really upfront about that. Oh man. Flattery will get you everywhere. Oh, well I'm, I'm always <laughs> honest. Uh, I've, I have learned that that is a valuable, tr a valuable trait. I, 
I when I first started uh, when my wife and I first started dating, she was like the most scathingly honest person I've ever met in my life. And I was like, oh, this is scary. And she's like, you should try it. And yeah, <laughs> it's great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And uh, if there's any anything else you guys ever need or any other conversations, I'm happy to follow up and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's 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 always it's a great time. So thank you so much. This is the period of time uh, where I like to actually hand it over to you. And if you have anything that you're looking to promote, anything that you want to talk about uh, or anything that you're working on now is now is the time to sort of, uh, you know, pitch whatever it is that you've got. And then I will uh, I'll bring us all home for the podcast. Oh my gosh. I, I think everybody needs to tune in to lightning hockey on Fox sports sun. Uh, you know, we're getting ready to embark on a playoff push. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, yes. I gotta put the lightning. I also got to push our bolts gaming line. You got to see those, you got to see those uh, challenges happening. Um, but you know, honestly, we're getting ready to hit the playoffs and I think it's all about, you're probably going to see some really cool things at the end of April. Um, as we head into the playoff push, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but, um, it's definitely a championship caliber. Well, that is now I am very excited uh, and I can't wait to see everything that's happening in April. Uh, thank you so much for watching. If you watch live in chat, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, if you're listening at home, uh, you can rate and subscribe and all that stuff's cool. But more importantly than anything else to me. And the reason why we do this is if you thought of anybody while we were having this conversation, please share this podcast with them. Uh, we, I like to do this because I like to, uh, you know, show all of the different ways that that we are as people and how we can be successful. And so if you thought of somebody, I bet they might need to hear it. And uh, let's let's try and elevate each other. This was an incredible conversation that I'm probably going to go back and listen to myself. So it's definitely worth it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> a little little brain fart there. Bye, everybody.